Blog Talk Radio. It's the Gridiron Studs Show and the promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Calamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts, Amo and Chad with your breakfast toast.
Mr. Calamino. I'm here. All right, folks. We're going to try and have a show now. Experience a power outage. <clears throat> Don't ask me why. We'll blame FPNL, also known as Florida Power and Light. So uh, we'll try and get things going here. Where were we? I think we were playing something like this. Let's run it back one more time and start from there. Tigers. They went out and took on Auburn on Saturday in a battle many were calling the uh, try to keep your job bowl or things along those lines. LSU thought they won the football game with an apparent last minute touchdown pass only to have it overruled stating that LSU did not get the playoff in time before the clock ran out. That result, an 18-13 win for Auburn, led to this. LSU has fired head coach Les Miles and offensive coordinator Cam Cameron. The two were fired on Sunday, a day after the Tigers lost 18-13 at Auburn in a game that came down to the final second. Miles is in his 12th season with the program. During his tenure, he led the Tigers to two SEC championships and one BCS national title during the 2007 season. LSU's defensive line coach Ed Ogeron will be named interim head coach of the 2-2 two two team. Well, Emma, a question here is, did you indeed see this coming? I think I did. Um, I think I know your answer, but we'd like to hear it from the horse's mouth. You're calling me a horse now? Wait yeah, a second. Well, I'm, offend- I'm offended. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Not too hard to offend people these days as we've come to find out. Uh, I thought they were setting them up. I didn't understand what they were doing last year. I, I mean, at that point, you know, the guy was pretty much fired last year, then saved himself, but you kind of had a feeling the first, you know, the first waves on the ocean uh, were going to be the end for less, and, he, and that's what happened. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised he didn't see it coming, but, you know, he probably didn't realize, hey, I'll take the money anyway. Yeah, word on the street is that Les became tired of the expectations from the fan base and the alumni and was uh, pretty much ready to go. Of course, he wouldn't volunteer. There is money involved in this. Um, you're a numbers guy. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, but uh, do you perhaps know what LSU owes Les Miles now that he's been fired? I, I don't. I have no idea at this point, you know, what they're on the hook for in terms of guaranteed money in that contract, how much was guaranteed, what the deal was. I will say this. Uh, I, I think that's a hard job. If you if you take a look at LSU before Saban got there, they hadn't won a, a, a mythical national championship since I believe it was 1957 or 58. Then Saban got there, and they split that one with, with SC in 2003, and then Les got one in 20, uh, 207 there. So they got mm-hmm. a couple, 
they got more in a short period of time than they had gotten in half a century. So now the expectations sure. are they should be doing that all the time. Yeah, isn't that something? Uh, you know, listen, um, the expectations can 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 really kill a program, um, and it can certainly be the death of a coach. I don't know where LSU goes from here. Of course, when things like this happen, especially at a high-profile program like LSU, all kinds of names come into the mix. I've heard everything from, um, you know, Herman, of course, because he's going to be up for every job that now comes open, to Lane Kiffin and, uh, you know, of course, Jimbo Fisher, who was rumored to be the guy at the final moments last year when uh, I believe they were playing Mississippi State and Les Miles was all but fired save uh, a halftime uh, of the powers that be at LSU that held that off and gave him another year. Now, I just didn't understand this coming into the year, and we talked about it in our, you know, prediction show when we got to the SEC. Listen, here's a guy who was moments, I mean literally moments away from being fired. Suddenly the next year his team is favored to win the SEC West and go to the SEC championship game and challenge for the national championship. I never understood it, and that was the reason why I tweeted out last night that, you know, Les Miles really got set up. I think they put all these expectations on him, um, kind of knowing that there were things he couldn't meet and that this would be the bitter end. Well, you put a lot out there. Let's 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 try to go in some sort of order here with in my head here. I'm trying to, you know, wrap my head around where I want to go. First of all, um, you know, you, you look at them a couple of years ago, they – People forget they played Alabama for a national championship in that you know that famous rematch game when when they had beaten mm-hmm. Alabama nine six in the first game, and you know they they were shut out in that game twenty one nothing. Nonetheless, what were they thirteen and one that year or something? So yeah, it's not like year. yeah, they had a great year. What what did him in more than anything is in my opinion, ultimately his inability to find a quarterback in today's game, which which is holding LSU back. Because if you take a look around the NFL, right now LSU has more NFL players on rosters than any school right. in the country. So it's not right. like they're not cranking out NFL-caliber talent there. But as I like to say on every show when we talk about this, my, my saying that I've stolen from others over the years is when you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And right. They go out there every Saturday when they play a team that has similar athletes like them, like the Alabamas and the Tennessees and the Floridas. It's very hard for them to win because they really, they just can't throw the football. And ultimately, that's what got him fired. Whoever he, you know, Cam Cameron did him no favors offensively. Their offense was horrible. He's gone too. And hey, does anybody do interim coach like Ed Ogeron? Seriously. Yeah. Once again, once again, Ed Ogeron finds himself in that position. Um, and funny, you know, I've not heard his name mentioned as a full-time replacement. Uh, yeah, as you know, I don't believe in I don't believe interim coaches should become the, you know, next coach of a team. Interim is interim, do your thing, and then you know move on. Or you know, or or you you know you'd be happy with your role as an assistant after that. That's something few guys are willing to do. I can only think of. Um, you know, Fickle at Ohio State who, you know, stayed on after an interim basis or, you know, he's even a head coach for a while. Uh, and then, well, they're going to make, they're going to make a run. I think they'll, they'll make a run at at Herman, the Houston guy. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and honestly, if I'm him, I think he's silly if he doesn't take it seriously. I know he puts out the stuff all the time. Oh, I love Houston. I'm staying here and that's what coaches do. But 
you'd be pretty silly not to take a look at that job because you're going to get some top flight talent. And if you could fix the offense there, um, you know, they've had defensive teams. They can play defense usually. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Uh, you know, I, I would agree with you on that. He should take a look at it. I mentioned this on Friday. He doesn't want to do the whole Greg Schiano thing. We had a place like Rutgers. You're having success. And then, you know, I don't know what the deal was. Maybe he was afraid to leave there, thought he had everything he needed and he could take Rutgers to the mountaintop. You know, there are just too many barriers at a program like that for you to even get to that point. The most you could ever hope for is to win it just at one time. And then after that, that word comes up again, expectations that you're just never, ever going to – you can't – you're not going to build a national championship dynasty at Houston uh, just like you wouldn't at Rutgers. It's not – Do you want to know – this this to me is a little bit of a parallel, what I see. Houston to me is what – Oregon might have been 15 or 20 years ago, and I say that because it's a large university. Um, it's not some small little school. So they have some resources, some big money donors, like in Oregon. But Oregon at the time, and, and I've talked about this in the show, they benefited from, at that point in time, uh, their rise coincided with the USC probation and some other things that happened. Chip Kelly had a new offense. People didn't know how to defend it. And up comes Oregon. Now, as you notice, Oregon's on their way descending down that mountain right now. They lost at home to Colorado on Saturday. We'll talk about that later. Houston right now is having some success because, one, they're in a conference they can dominate. Two, they have an excellent coach. And Texas right now is struggling a little bit. And sure. we all know that in, in the state of Texas, even though it's huge, when the Longhorns are rolling, they're getting the best players. They're getting more than A&M. They're getting more. That's just the way it works there. Right. So right. he's got to be careful not to stay. I guess what I'm trying to say in a long-winded way is I agree with you. He's got to be careful not to overestimate how far he can take Houston. Yeah, he really has to do that. And who knows what's in his head. Uh, do you think they make a run at Jimbo Fisher again? Uh well, they liked him the first time, and, you know, I, I'm, I don't think if you like a guy, you let a few games or a game against uh, a really hot Louisville team uh, ruin, ruin what you, you know, you feel about him. And I think if I'm Fisher, again, I'm looking long and hard at that job because he seems to understand offense. That's his thing. And, mm. you know, I think LSU might be a good fit for him. Uh, coming in there because the, what's broken there seems like something he could fix. And as you talked about at Florida State, he set some un, really tough expectations for himself. He succeeded a legend in Bowden and then won with, with a generational type of player in a guy uh, in a guy like Winston. I mean, those guys come around once every 15, 20 years in college football, even at schools like Florida State. So you don't have that guy anymore to just win games for you at the end. And, and I think that's what you know, you're seeing right now for Florida State. Yeah, they'll beat the teams they should beat, but they're going to struggle against some of the teams that have a similar talent to them. Yeah, that's the tough part when you get a player like a Jameis Winston or, you know, a Vince Young or, uh, geez, you know, even a Johnny Manziel or a player of that ilk come through your Reggie program. Reggie Bush, guys like yeah, that, guys types. that just dominated at the college level. Yeah, Tim Tebow, those kind of players that yeah. come in and they're outstanding college football players. They win the Heisman. They take you to the mountaintop. Now you are compared to that, you know, every year. You know, and that that's just, you know, not realistic. You get me on that? 
No, no, hundred percent. I mean, that's you know, you, you you've got a guy that's really elevated your program from very good to almost unbeatable, and they're only there for a short period of time. And it, you know, the next guy that plays that position, the chances are just they're not going to be as good. And when they're playing those kind of key positions like quarterback, tailback, um, you know, there's a fall off, and it's hard for the coach because he's got this expectation from fans who don't realize, yeah, he's a good coach, but he's got a guy here that's you know, probably not coming our way again for another 20 years. Yeah, and so I think Jimbo Fisher really needs to look at that and ask himself, is this is this thing really sustainable um, for the long term? I mean, and I'm, of course, in a season like, like the one he's in right now, um, he's, he's definitely got to be giving that a good, long, hard look. And who knows if behind the scenes that is what, push this move to happen well let me throw a couple other names out there for you that, that could be available how about brian kelly and clay helton did you hang you up here? on me no, yeah i'm here no, I, uh, I had to pull a little switcheroo there because we've been having the technical difficulties all right i'm still here yeah um who knows if behind if behind closed doors this was this has happened you know um Jimbo Fisher may did have Did you hear what I asked of, you or did you lose me? Did you I yeah, asked I lost, you. I might have did, lost you on that. Did did you ask me a question? Brian or? Kelly and Clay Helton might be available. What do you think about them for this job? Um I I'm not so sure about you know I'm, Kelly I'm being I'm kidding, the, Chad. Uh, I hope you're not yeah, giving me well, a serious answer here. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you a serious <laughs> answer because you know what? As crazy as that question may seem, oh, there are people out there that are thinking about this. So, um you know, it, first of all, regarding your team, USC, who took a loss on Friday night, uh, we didn't really have a chance to talk about that. They are now one and three on the season. Something I don't. When's the last time USC was one and three? Uh, Two thousand one. If uh, Carroll's first year, I think they got off to a one and three. That team was two and five out of the gate, and then they ripped off four in a row. And you know, Carroll kind of got it rolling at that point. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, we got to go. We got to go back six, fifteen, sixteen years for that to happen. Uh, I don't know what you're going to do at USC. Do you, you know, make some coordinator changes? Do you fire the head guy again? Um, and, and if Clay Helton's gone, is he a head coach, Amel? Is he a guy that can head coach college football? And he may so, be where? a guy, and, and, and again, I'm not going to change my opinion of him. I think he's a good offensive football coach and a good guy. But what I see is, and I'm going to give you credit for being right, I, when I'm wrong, I'll admit I'm wrong. A little bit of my rose-colored fan glasses came into play there with liking him uh, because I do like him as a person. But you make a valid point. Here's what I think happens, especially at a school like USC, which really needs an attitude adjustment, in my opinion, the way the kids play. The kids play hard because they like Clay Helton, so they get him hired. Mm -hmm. Now, you ask yourself, why do they like Clay Helton? My guess, without being there, is they like Clay Helton because he's a nice guy. They like him. They don't necessarily respect or fear him. And, that, and there's a big mm -hmm. difference, okay? Mm -hmm. So they get him hired. They, they play balls to the wall. He's hired. They relax. They go, oh, we got coach hired. Since he's been named the full-time USC coach, which, which was late last year, you know what USC's record is? One in five? Yes. You, you nailed one in, it. One in five. Yeah, one in five. They've got, they've got a win against UCLA, and in, in between there they got a loss to Stanford. Uh, a loss to Wisconsin, a loss to Alabama, another loss to Stanford, a loss to Utah. 
Yeah, and, you know, people will say the win that he did get, the one out of that five, was the one that got him hired, beating the crosstown rival UCLA. So that's going to be interesting uh, there. So yeah, kind of so I, 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 think he's, I think he's probably, I mean, if you're, if you're USC, I think the way you've got to play this is if you're going to fire him, which I, I think they will eventually. Um, you've got to do an extensive nationwide search. None of this we're going to name another guy like Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkeesian. It's got to be a big-name coach now because here's the thing. You've got to send the message that we're getting a guy here that's a serious coach. So why would that coach? require a nationwide search? To me, Emil, when you're saying you're doing a nationwide search, you're going to go turn over rocks um, looking for coaches who may be underrated, um, you know, unknown, but doing yeah, a maybe, tremendous maybe job. Yeah, maybe I misspoke there. Let me put it this way. I'm sure Lynn Swan's got a pretty extensive Rolodex. Lynn Swan's a college football Hall of Famer and an NFL Hall of Famer, okay? Okay. Uh, I, I he, hate to do he, this, Emil. I hate to do this, yeah. but it's just, you know, you got to do it because, you know, that's what fans want, and, want, and we're doing a, uh, you know, sports talk radio show here. So give me a short list. Of replacement Short if list. USC decides well, I mean, to you guys, fire Clay I, There's Hill. some guys I'm making calls to. I want to know if, if Herman's interested. I want to know, mm. hey, I want to know if Chris Peterson's interested. He was supposedly mm. interested last time, except that he didn't like the administration whoa, that was in whoa, place whoa, to USC. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm going to call a timeout. I think I'm going to throw a flag. We discussed this before, did we not? Did we not? You said he's not an L.A. guy. I know. Not an L.A. guy, not cut out for this. Better in Washington, better in places like Boise State. Can he go be in Los Angeles where it's Hollywood and operate in the same fashion? Probably not. Well, you got to call him, don't you? Just to find out what he thinks. What about what? The upcoming election, Trump or Hillary? You don't you're not hiring him for the job at USC. Yeah, I don't guess do you're that right. To him. But he I mean I'm also calling I'm it. also calling Kevin Sumlin. I'm giving him a call. He was very interested. Mm-hmm. Um say mm-hmm. what you want about Sumlin, say what you want about, you know, he he won with Manziel, but he's proven to, to be a, a pretty solid guy at A and M because people forget A and M's always the redheaded stepchild of Texas. And I'm sorry for A and M fans out there. It's not a mm-hmm. shot at your program. I like A and M. But, again, everybody in Texas falls in line long-term behind the Longhorns, period. Mm-hmm. So, right. what? Um, and let's do this before we, you know, go to a break here because, we're gonna, you know, next segment uh, we're going to jump in more into the action that took place on the field in college football this Saturday and then, you know, of course, talk about the NFL yesterday and some of the surprising things that went down there. But before we jump into it, let's say you have access, you're USC, let's say you have access to any coach out there right now in college football, and I mean any coach, uh, regardless of contract, et cetera. Um, give me three guys you'd want right now. And before you go and say Nick Saban, understand where Nick Saban is in his career. I understand. I'm not going to say Nick Saban. Uh, matter of fact, that's one of the first things that popped into my mind is here, you know, Nick's, Nick's probably looking to get on TV soon. He's got a good personality. Um, sure. One would be Urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. I, I I like Meyer. Um, just you know, he's, his his record goes without saying. To me, he's right there with Saban as one of the great great coaches ever in college football. Um, mm-hmm. If I could stomach him as a fan, I'd have to say you know for five years you can't go wrong with Jim Harbaugh until he just you know 
makes you have that that jaw disease from clinching your jaw because he drives you nuts. But you know he is. A and great would you coach. be okay with him coming in and you know you kind of know it's four years and then he's going to be gone all you know on to somewhere else. You're going to well, be looking for a coach again in four years. Would you be I all right? I never with that? thought. I don't think. I don't think. Despite how great of a job I think the USC job is because of facilities and history and location and all that good stuff. I don't mm-hmm. view the USC job as any more a max anyway of an eight-year job. Because yeah, I, I feel that it, way about my alma mater. It's a transient job, five years, six years, yeah, and then, you know, on to the next It's guy. a great job. Miami and USC, are, even though they're great programs, they're great jobs to win a lot and get yourself to the NFL if you want to do that or retire and go out as a legend. But they're hard jobs to stay in for more than eight or nine years just because of the pressure in those type of cities. With your, you know, You're trying to keep 18 to 21-year-olds out of trouble in Lincoln, Nebraska. Imagine Los Angeles and Miami. I mean, it's just a, and and then you got the you got the media. So anyway, I like Meyer, I like Harbaugh, and I have to be honest. And it's not just because he's the hot name. When I look at his resume, I really do like that that Herman. I mean, he's at Ohio State. He understands what it's like to be at that type of program. He's demonstrated and cut his teeth now at a program at the on a smaller scale. Um, you know, I, I like what he could bring to to USC if, if you know if, so. Let me throw a name out there that you haven't mentioned, and he's often overlooked, um, underrated, not paid much attention to, but just seems to continue to get things done. What about Mark D'Antonio? Could he fit at USC? You know, I knew. I I I, I swear right now, my children. I knew you were going to ask me that, and mm. I was. If you're asking me hypothetically, yes, he'd be on my list. My my problem is that's what that's what all Meyer. of this is hypothetically because okay, Meyer's not as leaving Ohio State. sit here right now State. having radio show. Clay Hilton is still the head coach at USC. Right, right. Meyer's not leaving anyway, and we know Harbaugh Herman could be a possibility. If you're asking me, I I I have to wonder: Could you pry him away? In reality, now from a Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State's had success there with him, but let's be honest: Michigan State isn't Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, Thank you for that nugget. I'm saying, in terms of public perception, I mean, he's done mm-hmm. a phenomenal job winning, and they've gotten some good players at Michigan State. But there, you know, could you imagine him with with the way he runs his thing, with the cream of the crop type of, you know, w- w- if he brought in some some kids, a pile of them that were, you know, highly rated? Because he's a great coach. I love the stuff that guy does. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Runs a good program, uh, develops players. Um, you know, I don't know what he could do recruiting-wise. You know, I don't know his strength there. Um, he's, he's, you know, not had top ten classes. We could say that's because of Michigan State um, and that a place like USC sells itself. But still, you don't know till a guy has to recruit, recruit. And the fan base, and there's pressure there, to bring in five-star athletes, then we know what he can do recruiting-wise. He doesn't have that pressure at Michigan State. It well, is let me ask you this. You're not going to get that. This guy. is a global question. I don't want to – I mean, I know what business you're in, so I don't want you to – you know, I, I, I want to ask you this question more, more of like globally here. This isn't just USC. Do we pay too much attention to that anyway? I mean, you can take the, USC as an, as an example. What, the recruiting part? with – yeah, we absolutely pay too much attention to that. But the truth of the matter is that we do, and fan bases do, and fan bases put pressure on programs and head coaches because of that. 
and fans have a louder voice in 2016 than they've ever had, and they can get guys fired. Hell, I saw tweets where people wanted Jim McElwain fired after the 10. Can you imagine that? Three and one football team, um, and they went and won 10 games last year. Back. By the way, he won 10 games yeah. last year. Yeah. Yeah. Then you had you had idiot fans saying stuff like that. So they want the five stars at a place where five stars should be going to. And if you don't get them, it, you better be winning ten, eleven games, or they're going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. So yeah, we pay too much attention to it. But it is it is the world that we live in right now. So if he were to come to USC, um, he'd either a have to be winning, like I said, ten, eleven games every year, or he'd have to be getting those five star recruits in. Or there's going to be a problem, you know. There's a big thing with some uh, with with expectations. So we'll kind of leave it at that. Let's jump into our break. When we get back, we'll talk about the actual action on the field. There was plenty of good stuff and uh, some bad stuff too that went on on the field this weekend in college football. We'll jump to a break. When we get back, we'll talk college football here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Just be the self-rich high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges, step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. we got college coaches visiting, we've got people visiting, we've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now, set your profile up, and let yourself be seen. Sure, someone's gone, winch is here, but that doesn't mean everyone's putting their t-shirts away. Whether it's the company recreational basketball team, the youth soccer league for the kids, or the Halloween party your buddy throws every year, t-shirts are as much a part of the American culture as Tom Brady deflating footballs. Screen printed t-shirts are costly when done for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay even higher prices. More colors, more costly. The answer? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. Whether it's your 7-on-7 team, your child's birthday party, or the family reunion, you can do it yourself and they'll look great. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, do the wording, whatever you want, print it on your own inkjet paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, and iron it on with your own hand iron. The design or pictures you put on your t-shirts are limited only by your own imagination and creativity. If you dream it up and design it, the paper soul at t-shirtsupplies.com can get it onto your t-shirt. By the way, don't worry if you haven't done it before. As T-Shirt Supplies has first-rate customer service, they'll help you get the right paper for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them at t-shirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirt, no hyphen, supplies pearl, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. It's 1-857-85-PAPER. T-ShirtSupplies.com. Go there now. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills. And in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? 
The Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. You're talking to the Rolex wearing, diamond ring wearing, kiss stealing, woo, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun, and I'm having a hard time holding these alligators down. Got to have you, Ric Flair, on a Monday morning, 1038 Eastern Time. Chad Wilson, Amal Calamino, Gridiron Stud Show, Weekend Wrap Edition. All right, let's jump into college football. We just finished talking about all those little, um, you know, the little off-the-field stuff where they're looking at firing coaches and whatnot. By the way, um, Les Miles wasn't the only one fired over the weekend. FIU called it quits for Ron Turner. Um, FIU... There's got to be a bunch of regret since letting Mario Cristobal gone uh, go, um, who's now at Alabama as the offensive line coach. They just have not been able to get it together since they've had uh, Cristobal there, um, who really got the program together. So just one of those bad moves made by a program. Now they got to go find another guy. Ron Cooper, the DB coach, uh, is now the interim head coach at FIU. But let's get into this. In the ACC uh, Florida State, everyone was looking at them against South Florida to see how they would snap back. Uh, didn't start well, Emil. 84-yard touchdown to start off the game. This one was wild in the beginning. 42 points scored in the first quarter between these two, 28 for Florida State, 14 for South Florida. Um, and it just – there continues to be problems defensively for Florida State, but nothing – uh, no problems on offense. They went absolutely berserk. 55 points. Dalvin Cook rushes for 267 yards. What are your thoughts on Florida State? That, right that, uh, that win will mask like you just hit the nail on the head. It's going to mask other issues there because that, that defensively they're really struggling. I mean, 35 points to South Florida, and that's not me saying anything bad about South Florida, but Florida State should not be allowing 35 points in a game against South Florida. They just shouldn't. I mean, South Florida had 450 yards of offense uh, early in the first. You know, and I shouldn't even say early. They scored 21 points in the second half, too. I mean, they moved the ball on them. Yeah. Just should, um, it should, they, shouldn't be happening like that. They've got issues there. They've definitely got issues, and they need to fix them quick, fast, in a hurry because North Carolina is coming to town next weekend. And if North Carolina can do anything, it's offense. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Florida State – can do there. Speaking of North Carolina, what a wild one they had against Pittsburgh. Um, down for a good portion of this game. It was, you know, 19 uh, 16 at halftime in favor of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh came out strong second half, and then North Carolina closed furiously at the end to get a 37 36 win over Pittsburgh. Perhaps the Tar Heels were looking ahead a little bit. I don't know. You know, Pittsburgh's no slouch, but this is, sets up a pretty strong football game next week North Carolina and Florida State. Yeah, I think there'll be some points scored in that game, but but based on uh, what I thought this week, I don't know if you can go by that. 
<laughs> we'll get to that yeah. later. But yeah. I know. Well, the big shocker in uh, involving an ACC team this weekend was Duke um, going into Notre Dame and pulling off the win. Notre Dame, Emil, uh, much to my chagrin, we'll talk about when we wrap things up, um, is a twenty-one was a twenty-one point favorite going into this game. Twenty-one yes. point favorite, and somehow, some kind of way, allowed twenty-eight points in the first half. Um, to Duke, ended up losing this football game and then got rid of their defensive coordinator, Brian Van Gorder. Well, I mean, I, I don't like to see anybody lose their job necessarily, you know, Andrew, but, I mean, he, he kind of earned that one. Yeah, it was it was coming. You know, the Texas game was, a, was you know, an eye-opener. Um, and then you go play a, a team like Duke, who really wasn't lighting it up offensively, uh, you know, they had a big game against NC Central, but that's ex- to be expected. They scored 14 against Wake Forest, 13 against Northwestern. Uh, they come and take on Notre Dame and put up 38. It's just going to be very hard for you to hold your job at a at a high-profile place like Notre Dame. So that's what you had happen how wrong, there. How, Louis, by the way, how wrong were you and I this year about Notre Dame? I mean, I really oh, expected I, I was extra wrong, my friend. Um, extra, no, I was too. Wrong. I had them in the finals. I, I really did. Yeah. I had them going, uh, you know, 11-1. and one. To say dead wrong would not even do justice to that. They're just uh, abysmal at this point, and I don't know where where they're going to go from this. I don't know what kind of uh, effort you're going to get from a Notre Dame team right now, and it's you know it's going to take some serious coaching there. Louisville um, ahead of their big time showdown this weekend. Uh, can't wait to see this one. Um, uh, uh, you know their showdown coming up with Clemson. All, all business as usual, and Lamar Jackson. Nothing stopping this guy. 59-28 over Marshall, and he was at it again. Five touchdown passes, Amol, for Lamar Jackson in this game, and uh, rushed for two. Seven touchdowns. Uh, I mean, this guy is so far ahead right now in the Heisman Trophy race. Uh, it's going to take, take some really bad football from him and the Louisville Cardinals for him not to run away with this thing. Yeah, well, I mean – Next week, you know, is going to go a long way to determining that because you know we're we you know he's gotten off to a hot start, but if Deshaun Watson goes nuts next week and and Clemson beats Louisville, we know how those uh, you know voters tend to view that kind of stuff. So you know I, I'm not sure it's a runaway quite yet because that game next week is going to be huge for both of them in, in the Heisman and in the standings. Yeah, I think this is going to be the first real defense that uh, Louisville comes up against because, as we've already pointed out, Florida State has their issues uh, defensively right now. So let's see what Lamar Jackson can do against a defense that looks like they're biting here uh, early on in the season. Switching over to the Big 12, it was a very, very quiet week for the Big 12. Not much in terms of big games going on there. Baylor did defeat Oklahoma State 35-24. and, and then TCU got an expected win over Southern Methodist, 33-3. to Not much to talk about in the Big 12. No, but, you know, I, I did get to see a little bit of that uh, that Baylor game. And now, obviously, you know, Jim Groh is the coach, right, the, the old Wake Forest guy? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Uh, he, he came in there. Now, you know, I'm not saying he could maintain that long term because – you know, I don't know if he can recruit and do the things Art Bryles did, but but short term he might be uh, something good for Baylor. Keep an eye on them. They seem to be a little more interested in defense when I was watching it. Uh, yeah, um, and and that we'll see how far that takes them. 
but uh, it was good enough to get them a win over Oklahoma State. The only surprise for me was West Virginia. I you know I know how big how high you are on BYU, and I you know I think they're a tough team too. But they got the 35-32 win over. They dragged BYU into a shootout and won. Yeah, well, but they were also a nine-point favorite in that game, so they were supposed to win. I was commenting uh, Saturday, watching some games with my son-in-law, and I, I pulled up the BYU schedule, and I said, if I'm the coach of BYU, I'm going to the athletic director's office, blocking the door and hitting him over the head with a book. Here, you know, look at the BYU schedule. Arizona from the Pac-12, at Utah mm. from the Pac-12, mm. home with UCLA from the Pac-12. Let's go to West, let's, let's play West Virginia next. Okay, West Virginia's from the Big 12. Ah, we'll take a break. Toledo, no slouch, by the way. Then we'll go to Michigan State. Oh, we'll play Mississippi State. Then we'll go to Boise State. Go to Cincinnati. Maybe, <laughs> maybe BYU is trying to position themselves for a move into a conference. And uh, in, in doing so, they need to show that they can play big boy football, play a big boy football schedule. Maybe that's, you know, behind the scenes what's going on there. Uh, otherwise, I don't know why you'd line it up that way. But nevertheless, that's the story there. Yeah, he's BYU. got self-positioned for a trip to a psychiatrist's office. Uh, yeah, that too. But that's kind of what happens when you go play in one of these Power Five conferences. You're going to lose your mind anyway. So um, maybe they're positioning themselves for that. Sliding over to the Big Ten, the big game in the Big Ten this weekend was Wisconsin and Michigan State. It also happened to be the only game that I got right out of my three picks this weekend. Went with Wisconsin, thought Michigan State might be a little too high off of the win against Notre Dame. Michigan State's got to be looking around like, man, we shouldn't have been that high over a win over Notre Dame. Nevertheless, they were. Wisconsin came out and, um, you know, put a boot to these guys. And, um, you know, maybe we got to take a little harder look at Wisconsin. We'll know more this weekend as they take on Michigan, but they totally dominated Michigan State in this game. Yeah, but you know what? You got to be careful, and this is good. You did a good job handicapping this game because what happens with Wisconsin, I noticed myself doing this as well. They beat a team like Georgia State 23-17. Sometimes that's just Wisconsin. I mean, they're that's boring. They play ball. Yeah, they run the ball. And, and, you know, if they're not running it well or the offensive lineman went out the night before, they're not going to score 50 points. You know, they're going to they're gonna beat you kind of boring. And then you kind of write them off. But they come in, you know, all torqued up for a game like this. They always play good defense there. And I think what Michigan State, you know, we have less calls all the time. He's a big Michigan State fan. I think we could all agree – you know, they were lost some guys from last year's team. And we respect the coach so much, we may be overestimating Michigan State based on that Notre Dame win, which, as you said, we're seeing maybe isn't that much to get excited about right now. Sure, sure. I, I think that's a lot of what happened there. But we're going to, like I said, find out more about Wisconsin this weekend as they take on Michigan, who totally, totally – this is so far away from our childhood days. Michigan and Penn State would never see a score like this. Um, 49 to 10. It was just funny to even see something like that going down. You're not, you weren't high on Penn State uh, going into the season. I was, you know, not high on them either, but thought more of them than you did. But this is a complete, this was a complete mismatch, Emil. I mean, a total mismatch here. 28 nothing. You know, it's got a, what kind of bugs me a little bit, and I'm, I'm not any great Penn State fan, of course, but I don't hate them either. You know, Harbaugh's up 42-10 in this game, and he just, you know, a couple minutes, a minute and a half left, something like that, on the Penn State three-yard line. He's first and goal at the six. Mm-hmm. There's 2.13 left in the game. They're not going to call timeout down 42-10. And mm-hmm. if they do, well, then damn it, run it in if they want to call timeout. But they're not. Mm-hmm. Take a freaking mm-hmm. knee. Show some class. 
You're up 42 10. <laughs> You're asking Jim Harbaugh to show class. He's not about that, man. You know, and I, I Amel, I'm not one to get down on a guy about that. You have to create a mentality. That's how I feel. You, I feel like you have to create a mentality within your program and your kids. If you get them relaxing and you're feeling sorry for guys, that stuff can pour into a, a game where you don't need that mentality. So, hey, listen, your job, uh, whose quote was it? It's not my job. Oh, that was, that was a Bobby Bowden's quote to Lou Holtz when I, Bobby was at West Virginia and Lou was yeah, at William & Mary. Yeah, that's not yeah. my job, man. You know, stop it. I'm here to score points. You know, this is what I do. Yeah, and you know I what? Guess. If Yeah, if I end up, you know, beating you in a really bad way, perhaps that helps motivate you to next time the two of us come together. So, no, you're not going to find class um, next to Jim Harbaugh's name in the dictionary. Just not going to happen. Hey, he goes out quickly in this conference, let me just touch on two. I want to ask you your thoughts on this. I saw a little bit of this game flipping channel Saturday. Iowa really struggled at Rutgers. What do you make of that? I mean, Iowa, I, what I thought I make they were out better of it is this. a bunch of, you know, BS. Since I picked Iowa to run away, uh, in this game after an embarrassing loss to North Dakota. But Iowa might be Amo like Wisconsin. This is just how they play football. And that's on me, picking them as a double-digit favorite, knowing full well this is not an explosive football team. They're just going to do what they got to do to win. I didn't see the game. You might have watched it. Tell me, was it legit struggles or this is just Iowa football? Oh, it was legit gonna... struggles. But I thought I think you weren't banking on them blowing them out because they're Iowa. You were betting that Rutgers would be Rutgers. And that that's something that's, that surprised me because they – actually showed quite a bit of fight in this game. So uh Well I do anyway, like the Rutgers the, I do like the Rutgers coach. Uh I think Chris Ash is gonna yeah. be a great head coach and uh he's you know doing what he can with what he has right now at, in Rutgers and you know apparently uh, a better job than some people thought it would be. Uh, yeah, and then, well the other one here in this and this is Indiana, you know, played at home uh not that I think this is going anywhere long term, but how about some props for Wake Forest out of the gate four and oh from the A C C beating Indiana on the road. I mean, it is who Wake saw Forest. that coming? Yeah, who the heck Nobody. saw that coming? Yeah, Wake Forest doing big things. You know, the meat part of their schedule is coming up here. But to start off, Warno, you give yourself a nice little head start. You can pick up a couple of, um, you know, wins along the way. You could start talking about um, some bowl games. I mean, they've got NC State and they've got Syracuse on there, Army, Virginia. I mean, they've got a chance to make a bowl this year because they started off 4-0. That Indiana win at the end of the year is going to end up being a pretty big one for Wake Forest. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, they they could be looking at an eight win season here. I mean, there's some there's some very winnable games on that schedule. You know, NC State, Syracuse, you mentioned. I mean, so they could if they play some decent football, beat the teams like Army, Virginia. I mean, they could be looking at an eight win season. Definitely. Well, sliding out west now, Pac-12 action. We already talked about USC and Utah. We didn't really get into the meat and potatoes of that game. I mean, USC had control there for a good while, and then in the fourth quarter. Something happened. Utah uh, decided they wanted to start throwing the ball around. Went right at Adoree Jackson in that last drive. I don't know what's going on uh, defensively with USC. What's the bigger problem for you? Which unit is the bigger problem? I watched problem? the fourth quarter. I watched. Listen, I have to make a confession. I might have to give back part of my USC card. Um, it, that game started at nine. I watched it. Well, at ten o'clock. You know, everybody who listens to the show knows I'm a diehard Dodger fan. And Vince Scully, someone you grew up with, living in Los Angeles. One of the classiest guys that ever, you know, did a game. 67 years. He's retiring, and they're doing a big pregame ceremony. I mean, it was great. I'm, I'm watching that. I got to tell you, I'm not watching my one and two college team 
Okay. Understood. I'm watching Understood. that. Yeah. So I have to, you know, I have to give back part of my car. But I went back to the game. Um, there's a lot of things that trouble me, having been a lifelong fan. USC, you know, for all the way they're portrayed as, you know, the Hollywood and glitz and glamour. USC played football, you know, from John McKay up through Robinson and Carroll, more like an SEC team. They cranked out huge offensive linemen, mean offensive linemen, defensive linemen. That's not there right now. You watch USC up front, they're soft. I mean, that kid, Zach Banner, he's six foot nine. He's a right tackle. His father is former NFL player, Derek Kennard, played for my Cowboys. He spends more time shaking hands and picking guys up than knocking them on their ass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm picking um, so, on him, but that's that whole program there. They, Adoree Jackson, and you could speak to this when you get a chance to watch some film. I mean, that's your thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know much about playing corner, but I mm-hmm. can just tell watching it. He looks like he has no technique. He stands out there, and it's kind of like, I'm a better athlete than you, so I know you can't outrun me. So finally in the second half, I, Utah looked and said, wait, we got a six foot five kid. This kid's giving him a cushion. He's five foot eleven. We'll just keep running slants. They basically ran slants all the way down the field. Um, yeah, uh, they did that, and then you know s- some other routes too. And yeah, I think it's I think it's some of that with with Adoree Jackson. It's just like I'm going to win this thing on being an athlete, and at some point he's going to have to get some technique. His biggest contribution though is in is, is as a return man, which he did provide. Um, his, his, he did provide his worth in this game, running. Uh, I think it's his sixth return for a touchdown. Back oh, in this he's particular a phenomenal game. return guy, and that's where his skill set lies, as far as I'm concerned. In the NFL, is is really on the offensive side of the ball as more of a a slash type of player. I really, unless somebody coaches him big time in in the art of playing cornerback, I don't know how he's going to do it in the NFL because he he uses nothing. As far as technique. probably probably as a nickelback, uh, I see him more getting in the slot and taking on some of those quicker slot guys and trying to make his way there. I can't see him on a, a Sunday lined up in front of a Des Bryant or an AJ Green or a Julio Jones or you know Brandon Marshall. I don't see him being able to win those type matchups. Um, no, at the next level, that's not going to be him. But he will provide you with some excitement when the ball does indeed hit his hand. So that'll be interesting. To see. Um, also, a big, big surprise, and this would also probably symbolize the end of you know a, a little run. It didn't result in a championship for them, but they did garner quite a bit of attention. I'm talking about Oregon. They get toppled at home by Colorado. Um, you know what? People are still thinking of the Colorado of the last couple of years. This is a different football team. They showed that last week when they battled it out with Michigan. So this is not the old Colorado over the last few years, but I didn't think Colorado was ready to pull off a win like this. No, and I think it kind of, you know, the last two weeks are very symbolic. And I, and I, if you remember, I was on Oregon from the from the jump when they played that first game. I think it was against UC Davis, and I saw the score floating across my screen, and I kept seeing this, you know, subdivision team scoring points. And I, I think the final was 51 or 53, 28, something like that, and, and that kind of put my antenna up on them. Last week they go, they lose one at the end to Nebraska. Uh, I think Nebraska's a decent football team, but they're not the Tom Osborne Nebraska. And this mm-hmm. kind of just puts the cherry on the cake. I think this is officially the signal that Oregon's coming back down the hill here. Yeah, well, do they call Chip Kelly back? you think Chip Kelly would go back to Oregon? Um, 
I don't know uh, because he seems like a guy, you know, just from a distance who's very stubborn and arrogant, like many coaches, but he seems like he might not be a guy who takes a step back and looks at the big picture and says mm, sometimes the sometimes the encore is ne- not sometimes almost always the encore never equals you know the initial you know performance so um if he was smart i don't think he'd do it but i'm not i'm yeah. not sure you know i i more on chip kelly when we get to the nfl part of this thing and then also in the pac 12 stanford and ucla you know i was seeing the score of this game uh while i was over there in tennessee getting getting listening to rocky top over and over and over again uh, and saying to myself, you know, I think I was probably right on this thing. And then somehow UCLA turned into UCLA in the last few minutes of this football game because they had a chance to win this game, and I felt like Stanford might come in this thing a little flat after the win over USC, and UCLA could do enough to win it. They just didn't do enough to win it, and they ended up losing this well, game. And this, yeah, the at score the end of the game, you know, they have the game. They're, they're up four. So you know, Stanford needs a touchdown to uh, win this football game, and there's you know like 16 seconds, 20 seconds left in the game, something like that. And uh, you know, the kid from Stanford throws a 15 or 16 yard touchdown pass, and pretty much that's it. I mean, they they, they win the ball game. Uh, you know, and and for those uh, you know, they mentioned this by the way on the telecast. There was a very important touchdown at the end of the game, uh, mm, you know, with with, yeah. with about 20 <laughs> seconds left. Rosen got sacked and. Uh, fumbled. This is a three-point line for those of you who follow that stuff. Right. UCLA was getting three, so you can, you know, basically get a push there. Rosen fumbles. Yeah, this is the, the kind of stuff that than, um, who was it? Yeah. Al Michaels would call to attention uh, at the end of games, or even Brent Musburger from time to time will talk about uh, a touchdown like that and not come right out and say it, but you know, make a little cryptic statement about it. Well, that was a very important touchdown to some folks out there watching this football game. And yeah, that's exactly and it, it what he that. said. Whoever was doing the game Saturday, I think it was Herb Street and the other guy, whoever the other guy was mm-hmm. doing the, the, you know, the, the play-by-play, made mm-hmm. that comment. He said, he said that was a very important touchdown in some circles. <laughs> yeah, so even these uh, announcers know the number on the games that they uh, go out there and do. So Stanford takes out UCLA, and uh, UCLA, where do you go from there? Already two losses on the season. Sliding along uh, the Southeastern Conference. And we'll get to the game that I was at, but let's talk about some of the other ones. Texas A&M, 45-24 of Arkansas. Were you surprised by that final score? It was a tight game um, until the fourth quarter when Texas A&M ran away. A&M a bit of a surprise right now. Yeah, I think, you know, we got to start taking them seriously. Uh, Chivas seems to be helping that defense. They have some players up front, I mean, definitely on defense. They have some they have some kids that can get after the quarterback. Uh Weird game. I mean, they they ran the ball Texas A&M like crazy for 360 some yards. Uh, Arkansas had some, early in this game looked really good. At one point, I think Arkansas had a 17-10 lead in this game, um, and then it just it went. You know, the second half it just went downhill from there. I mean, it was yeah, 17-10 Arkansas yeah. before you know it. A&M rips off uh, whatever it was, 28 points in a row. Yeah, it got it got weird there really quick and fast, and you know, hell, I I can tell you up close what it's like when the home team flips momentum back to their side and the crowd gets loud, as you know they can in College Station. Little note from the box score here: Trevor Knight, your leading passer and rusher uh, for the for the Aggies in this game, 225 yards passing, also added 157 yards rushing. Trevor Knight paying dividends for Texas A&M, um, Auburn and LSU. 
Uh, we discussed this when we talked about Les Miles. Uh, I knew this would be a tight game, Emil. It doesn't get any tighter than this. I just thought LSU would pull it out at the end because I'm you know, not thinking a whole bunch about Auburn this season. They already had two losses. If, had they lost this game, they would have been one and three, and then I think Gus Malzahn would have been the one let go uh, you know, yesterday or today. But as it stands, LSU takes their second loss of the year and lose their head coach. Yeah, it was kind of like when they did that whole instant replay at the end of the game. I, I think Malzahn and Miles should have came to the center of the field and held hands to decide who gets the boxes. <laughs> they really – hey, to the, <laughs> that is a very um, – that's a great statement right there. I mean, they should have come to the – you know what they should have looked like? You know when it's Miss Panama and uh, Miss Columbia yeah. at the end, and they just hold each other's hands with tears rolling down their eyes, nervous, shaking. Who's it going to be? Well, damn it, man. It was Les. Les, sorry, buddy. Yeah. You're the one. Les, I left the boxes underneath the tunnel near your locker room. Good grief. We, it, that will forever be called the U-Haul Bowl, and the win of the U-Haul Bowl was Auburn. Les, you got a pack, buddy. You're out as the coach of the LSU Tigers. Also in the conference, Mississippi opening up a first aid kit on Georgia. And unlike anything they've done so far this year, they beat it up in the first half. 31 nothing, by the way, which is obscene to even see happening to a Georgia football team. And somehow, some way, unlike two other games they've had this year, they figured out a way to keep their foot on the gas and go ahead and bury Georgia 45-14. Yeah. And, and I, honestly, they took it off in the fourth quarter. This could have been worse. I think at one point it was 45 nothing. Georgia got a, a touchdown at the end of the third quarter, then one in the fourth, and Mississippi put their backup quarterback quarterbacks in. They used their second and third string, from what mm-hmm. I remember here, mm-hmm. uh, or at least their second, I know, got in the game. So they, they kind of took their foot off the gas. This could have got worse. Georgia's kind of young. I think they're ranking, not just because of this game. I felt coming into this game, classic example of people ranking on record. Uh, mm-hmm. Georgia was 3-0, and and they're Georgia, so, God, let's make them number 10 or 12 in the country. And people are ignoring uh, a two-point win against Nichols, a one-point win against Missouri. The North Carolina game was hairy at the end. They could have lost that game. I mean, this team's a young team. They're playing a true freshman at quarterback. Uh, yeah. They have another tough one next week coming up at home against Tennessee. I mean, so this could get away from them quick if they don't right the ship. Speaking of Tennessee, there I was, front and center in Tennessee. Uh, I have some thoughts uh, on this football game and everything else surrounded by it. First of all, um, it's just really amazing to be in a town and uh, just watch 100-plus thousand people pouring into one area like that. Um, And I don't know if I'm doing a good job of explaining that. First of all, uh, parking's a nightmare unless you get there early. Um, we parked over a mile away from the stadium, Emil. But um, orange everywhere. you got to give it to Tennessee fans, Tennessee volunteer fans. Extremely passionate, as Lane Kiffin knows. They burned, they burned stuff when he left. They're very, very passionate. Um, and they were very, very loud uh, early in this game. And then it was gone really fast because Florida started extremely quick. 21 nothing, just like that. Florida's in control, defense playing like everyone said they were, and it was. It just looked like it was going to be a runaway. I mean, going at halftime is like, all right, Florida's got this thing. Um, they're going to dominate. They're up 21-3 at the half, and how are you going to find two, three touchdowns 
on this Florida defense right now to get yourself back a lead in this football game. Um, so you really felt like it was over with. And then there's this thing called momentum. And m- m- listen, so much this year have I learned about momentum. It's not that I didn't know about it. I've just been forced to really pay attention to that. It's happened to me in the high school games. I've seen the momentum. You, if you remember the game where we went and uh, played in, in Georgia against Colquitt County, which was on ESPN, they grabbed some momentum in that second half. And it was very difficult to wrestle it back away from them, especially on the road. Well, that's exactly what happened here in this game against Tennessee. Tennessee got a little momentum out of the locker room at halftime, and by golly, they took it and ran with it. And, Emil, I don't know if you've ever been in a stadium with a hundred and something thousand raging, yelling fans. It is absolutely incredible to listen to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. I'm sure it was. I mean, I watched this game at least the first half at home, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I told you, I, I mean, I was annoying my family. I was doing gator chops. I said, this is over. I said, it's 21-0, <laughs> right? I was like you. I said, oh, yeah, they were doing that game. in the Florida section, too. Okay, um, uh, definitely doing so A couple thoughts in retrospect. I felt that, uh, you know, that field goal, and this sounds crazy, the score was 21 nothing, right? I felt mm-hmm. like Florida kind of did a few things at the end of the half to give Tennessee hope. One was allowing them to, you know, drive the ball 65 or 70 yards and get a field goal because mm-hmm. the first points are always the hardest, and you go to the locker mm-hmm. room, you're not getting shut out now, and you've had some offensive success. I, I felt coming out, you know, this is where I kind of left at this point when, when it was 21-10. I felt coming out of the locker room, you know, not really – it's almost like their offense at Florida in the second half, especially early in the third quarter, was like, oh, God, please let the clock run out rather than let's just Yeah, let's hurry up doing. and try and get this thing over with before they get enough points to get the lead here. That's kind of how it seemed like they approached it. Yeah, I mean, it didn't feel like they, you know, they were having tons of success in the first half. I mean, Appleby looked good, uh, and it just almost like they – I don't even know if it was take the foot off the gas. I want. I mean, I'm going to use the word. It looked like they were playing offense scared. Uh, yeah, oh, that, that makes that, sense. Look, don't, don't be afraid to say that. That's exactly what happened there. And, you know, listen, it's not only players that learn uh, things when they're, a, a game like this happens. It's a coaching staff as well. Using me as a personal experience – um, we, I, we we had breakdowns in football games this year uh, against Booker T in the second half and against Colquitt County where they got um, some momentum and almost took the game back. And from that I learned, you know, you know what? You got to really pay attention to that last drive going into the halftime when you have quote-unquote control of a football game because if you don't handle that correctly, you can give them a little life in that locker room and they can come out inspired and and – and play a certain kind of way in that second half, that could be a problem for you. And, you know, this happened this weekend. We were involved in a tight football game against Norland, three to nothing, going into halftime. And lo and behold, as it seems every week, Norland had the ball last going into halftime. And I didn't sit back in zones. I came after them, full-out blitzes, you know, no safety in the middle of the field, and came after these guys. And the head coach even looked at me like, hey, man, there's a minute something left. Why are you doing this? And in my mind, I'm like, listen, I'm not going to let these guys have anything good to say when they get into that locker room at halftime. I want them coming out feeling defeated out of that locker room. I don't need them to feel any kind of – I don't need them to feel heroic coming out of the locker room. I learned that from some other games. And I think, you know, Florida's on top of their game and they've got a great staff. They will recognize some of the things that they did and – you know, should they find themselves yeah, in a situation I mean, again? Yeah, 
I kind of feel like you feel when I watch NFL games a lot of Sundays. I'll feel like, guys, these are the best coaches in the world, and they'll have a team. They'll be up 14-3. The other team will have the ball on their own 15-yard line with a minute left. And instead of saying, you know, okay, maybe they'll hit one once a year where we do this and it'll be 14-10, but they'll feel like they got lucky. But instead, they'll sit back in zones and let the quarterback get a rhythm. He'll drive down the field, even if it's only a field goal. Sometimes that's more damaging than just hitting a big touchdown play because you know what the field he threw ten passes completed nine of them they kicked a field goal now they get a rhythm and they come out they feel like they have hope. Yeah, it's almost worth it to me to take that gamble or risk that we leave someone one on one in coverage and something happens and they catch a ball for a long touchdown than for a team to have successful play after successful play after successful play. I think there's a difference between those two things. I can go in at halftime and say, man, they just got lucky. They got one on us. But if it's seven, eight plays in a row, they go down there, it's like we're clicking. We're clicking, and we're going to continue this when we come out of the locker room. And, uh, you know, lessons have to be learned there for Florida. I don't know. Maybe I'm an optimist. Obviously, everyone knows I've got a kid on the team. Um, I feel like Florida's more that first-half team than whatever happened in that second-half team. And if they can realize that and commit themselves, they can continue to have – they can still have a really, really great season. But if they get well, let me pick your brain for a second before we move on from college football in general. Um, mm-hmm. What happened in coverage? I mean, I, when I was watching that game, uh, you know, really – Tennessee was having trouble getting anything, and I'm watching my phone. I'm having dinner, and I'm watching touchdown pass, touchdown pass, touchdown pass. I'm <laughs> what's you going know, on you here? Know, you know what it is. I, I don't know specifically if there was a thing other than Emil. You're in Tennessee. You're Neyland Stadium. There's a hundred and two thousand people raging, feeling really great, and you just start getting a feeling. It's almost like uh, in a basketball game where you come out and you start hitting a couple shots. Um, and then, you know, you start grabbing a ball from five feet behind the three-point line. That's not a shot you're supposed to take, but you're, you're sinking them, and you're just in a rhythm. Offensive coordinator got in a rhythm. Team got in a rhythm. Um, coaches got in a rhythm. Everything just started flowing their way, and it just, you know, stuff just started happening. You had, you had a corner fall down on a play, um, and then you had a wheel route no one covered. It just momentum just got going, and uh, that's what happened there on that one. A couple of more things. I'm putting Tennessee on upset alert this Saturday. I'm putting them I right now also. on yeah, upset I, I am, alert. Yeah, I'm going to review it as we go along, you know, because we do make picks at the end of the week. But um, Tennessee, I, you know, trying to get out of that city after the game, um, you really felt like they won a Super Bowl. They'd waited 12 years for this. Um, and judging yes. off the fan base, the players got to be feeling that way. I don't know what kind of preparation they're going to have for a Georgia team that they just saw get absolutely murdered. They, 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 you know, if they per- I don't know how they're going to prepare. And then Georgia, you know, is going to have their hair on fire. This is their season right here after a game like this. So those are two things yep. coming together um, really well there. Hey, Missouri, 79 nothing over Delaware State. 79 nothing. Emil, if you're a team and you if you play it on a football team, and you lose seventy nine nothing. What's your feelings after the game? Well, I mean, if the quarterback just picked up a few blitzes early in the game, I think it could have been a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> I 
you're asking me. That's like playing a Pop Warner team. I don't know what to tell you. 79 Oh, man. Uh, that's just uh, an amazing score to see come out. Uh, by the way, it was 58 nothing at halftime. Great scheduling there, Missouri. Delaware State, I hope you were paid handsomely for this. Real quick, we got to go through the picks. It wasn't a great week for either one of us. Um, I managed a win in this thing, and as I said, it was Wisconsin over Michigan State. Didn't get a winner in either of the other ones. Took Iowa, as I said, against Rutgers. Couldn't get the job done. Only won 14-7 as a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. And then the other one was Mighty Notre Dame. I thought they would kick the living tar to Duke, but they got themselves beat at home amazingly. I don't even understand how that happened. So I'm 1-2. and two. What am I on the year there, my friend? I think I'm 6-6. Six six and six. Six on You're 6-6. Six Bat yeah, you're six and six. Now, ball. me, I went the other direction. I just took all L's. Uh, I'm four and eight on the year. I'll, I took Notre Dame, so you know we won't belabor that. I felt great. You know, I felt like I had Florida plus six and a half, and obviously we just covered that game. I'm up twenty-one nothing. I mean, I got to tell you, folks, when you when you're taking six and a half and you're up twenty-one nothing, you, you know you don't want to jinx it, but you're almost ready to just put the W down. Pretty much. Yeah, okay? Put the dog in the truck. Pretty drug. much. But yeah, so I lost that one, and Arkansas was almost as bad. I, I mean, I was getting six there. I'm up 17-10 in the second quarter, and it's a back and forth game. You're feeling like th- this game is going to be a three point game at best. I mean, they're they're dead even. And then Arkansas, the wheels fell off. They lose 45-24. I lose. I'm 0-3. I'm four and eight. I got work to do. Yep, you got to dig yourself out of a little hole there in that one. All right, we're going to take a quick, quick break. When we get back, it's NFL time. Here on the Gridiron Stud Show, we'll be right back right after this. No matter how hard you try, you can stop this now. No matter how hard you try, you can stop this now. Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one-week and even one-day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over 600000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25, and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! We're back here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Weekend wrap. Man, we're already three weeks through in the NFL. Can you believe that? Three weeks already in the books. I know. Oh, man, uh, you know, a lot of 
interesting stuff going on there. Look, let's jump into this right now. Emil, I think we're both forced to we're forced to admit this. Philadelphia Eagles might be better than we thought they were going to be. I think so. I mean, you know, you got to be impressed. Obviously, you don't, you know, it doesn't take any analysis listening to us to figure you got to be impressed with what they did yesterday. Um, they were, you know, Wentz looked really good. Um, I'm excited. You know, it's funny. Most of my dislike for the Eagles has more to do with the, the fan base, uh, the, mm-hmm. especially right now. It seems like they have a couple likable characters there. I mean, the coach, you can't, it's hard to un, not like Peterson, and Wentz seems like a nice guy. Um, so I'm I'm excited for the rivalry. I think it's going to develop there between the two quarterbacks, um, the two rookies in that division. Yeah, I continue to be impressed with the play calling for Wentz. I don't want to take anything away from the kid. He's handling what they're you know putting in his box there pretty well and running it the way that it needs to be run. But I, I do need to point out because this is often overlooked in 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 looking college and NFL football. You just, you know, you tend to focus on what you're seeing on the field, which are the players, but there's some coaching going on there. And Philadelphia doing an outstanding job calling plays for this rookie and putting him in positions where he can uh, be successful. And that was the deal yesterday, 23 of 31, 301 yards, two touchdowns against. This is not uh, just an ordinary – this wasn't Cleveland's defense, okay? This is a Pittsburgh Steelers. No! Granted, you know, Steelers might have been a little high off of a Cincinnati win. But nevertheless, this is still the Steelers that he cut up yesterday. Part of me, yeah, oh yeah, this no, definitely. Still, the yeah, Steelers. This, I mean, they 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 have you know. Listen, the Steelers. You, you could say what you want because I think they do have some some issues with their coverage, but they're still the Steelers. And he he, he looked very comfortable back there yesterday. I, I was impressed. I mean, I like the way he throws the football. He throws a nice ball. I mean, he's he, he looks like a, he's going to be a really good player. When you look at the games yesterday. What was the most surprising thing to you? Something comes to my mind. Let me see if we're on the same page. What was the most surprising thing you saw yesterday in the NFL? Well, I mean, for me, the magnitude of the beatdown that the Bills gave the Cardinals. I mean, I'm never surprised mm. when a home team wins a football game in the NFL. Um, winning mm. on the road in the National Football League is hard. It really is, but the magnitude and how easily, I mean, the Bills controlled that game beginning to end, won it by a couple scores, 33-18. to 18. I was surprised by that. Yeah, I wasn't as surprised just because, you know, I have a little coaching background on this, and I think for one game when you make the kind of changes – that the you know the Bills did. You got rid of an offensive coordinator and you bring a new guy in there. Cardinals are going to be off. You know they just don't know. You're surprised by almost everything uh, that's being called there, and it just takes a little bit of time for you to catch up. And if the team can hit you hard early, which is what happened in this game, then you know now it changes everything that you wanted to do. And the Bills got out fast on the Cardinals, so I wouldn't ask surprised. Thought that could happen. Yeah. The true test will be what the Bills can do now that there's a you know a book is starting to be formed on this offensive coordinator do they go back to where they were the biggest surprise for me was what happened right here locally not for the life of me did I expect a back and forth surely didn't expect an overtime football game for an 0-2 Miami Dolphins team coming home in their home opener in a brand new stadium Um, I I do say brand new but you know almost brand new because of all the renovations made a good crowd you're going to have there a chance to show something against a, a, a wounded Browns team not a good team to begin with and then wounded they're starting Cody Kessler for crying out loud Terrell Pryor they ran a platoon at quarterback and that resulted in an overtime football game that surprised the heck out of me 
And I'll tell you something else, as far as Kessler goes, he looked better in that game yesterday than I remember him looking at USC. He actually looked pretty good. He he did. Uh, 21 of 33, 244 yards. I don't know if that's Cody Kessler, if that's just an indictment on this Dolphins football team right now, but it's just uh, the things are not looking good for the Dolphins. And now, after this win that you eked out, you got to go take on a Cincinnati Bengals football team that's going to be kind of pissed after back-to-back losses. So I don't know where you're going to be at. Uh, Ryan Tannehill threw in a 19 yards passing yesterday, but he threw two more interceptions. Um they don't have a, a running game they can rely on. Uh, and a fumble. And, um, they don't and have and a, a running game that they can rely on. Um, you know, no one got more than nine carries. I don't know where the Dolphins are right now. I just really, really don't. It's, you know, they. I don't even know where to begin. As you can see, I'm a little bit of a loss for words. They won that. that game purely based on the Browns remembering they were the Browns. I mean, <laughs> their kicker was three of six. I mean, that's high school. You guys probably have kids in Florida that are better than that. Three of six? Yeah, unbelievable. Um, and and yeah, I, you know, Cleveland. Uh, I I did make this comment on Twitter that the two of them are embroiled in a vicious game of hide the victory. No one wants it. Someone's got to get it. And you know, I guess someone will end up losing <laughs> this game. No one will end up winning. <laughs> hide the victory, man. That's, that's the game going down there. You know, Detroit and Green Bay. Amol, listen. Yeah, Green Bay won this game. They're expected to win this game. They're at home against the Detroit Lions. But I'm continued to be troubled by the way Green Bay goes about things. Um, in a game in which you had control early, um, and and you know you're at home, you could, you, you, your leading rusher Eddie Lacy, yes, had a good day, 103 yards rushing, but he only had 17 carries. And con, and, and the the Packers continue to be this team where they want to just put everything on Aaron Rodgers. And sure, it worked yesterday. Um, Aaron Rodgers and Jordy Nelson got back to their old. Uh, their old ways, but that was the Lions. So a game that you had complete control and ended up being 34-27 at the end. And it's well, just, and you had, I mean, it wasn't like a, the Lions scored with 10 seconds left to make it 34-27. They scored with 3.30 left in the game. So basically, you know, you, they were within an onside kick or a defensive stop from getting the ball back and tying this game. So that would trouble me if I was the Packers. There's different ways, as you know, scores end up a certain way. If they scored with 10 seconds left and the final was 34-27, I'd say, well, okay, whatever. But they, they had a chance to actually get the ball back and, and try to win this game. So that would trouble me if I was Green Bay. Yeah, I, I'm um, I, I'm just not – I don't get a good vibe out of Green Bay. You know what? Uh, Minnesota went out and performed again, and that defense is tough. Uh, I, look, I was – a little hesitant on Vikings. I, I thought there was a lot of uh, hoopla moving around this team uh, because, you know, I think you're going to eventually feel the loss of Adrian Peterson. Yes, he wasn't necessarily producing, but at some point defenses are going to, you know, change the way that they defend you because, he, you know, he's not back there. So I wasn't really big on it. Sam Bradford didn't have a big day, and as expected, Stephon Diggs uh, drew some coverage in this contest, only had four catches for 40 yards, but the defense was still – um, uh, cha- playing championship style, eight defense. sacks, eight sacks. Yeah, they, they, I mean, I mean, but this is. Let nice. me ask you this. Yeah, it's a great defense. I mean, I tell you what. Right now, for me, and I mean, maybe you see someone I'm missing here, and I know you're a closet Seattle fan. You know, you've got a couple mm-hmm. teams there. You do pull a little for my Cowboys, so I'm, I'll give, mm-hmm. give you a pass. But I think the two best defenses in the league right now are Denver and Minnesota. Um, I can't go. Uh, how could I go against that right now with what both of these teams are doing? They're going out and they played some quality, 
competition, and uh, they've made them look inferior. I mean, between the sacks, along with the eight sacks, they picked off Cam Newton three times yesterday. And this is, I mean, this is Carolina Panthers. This is a solid football team that they went to their house and did this to. So, uh, you know, half But this is old Carolina so far. I mean, remember before last year, and even last year, what they were able to do in Carolina, I think, is they were able to mask some of the issues they had up front they would get the running game going early, and if they can get off and get you know get some success, then the play action works. It takes pressure off Cam. He moves around. Their offensive line, you know, you remember he was taking a lot of hits the year before last. People forget because mm-hmm. of the season they had last year. We came on this show a lot of times saying, "What are they doing in Carolina? They're going to get this kid killed." Well, that mm-hmm. seemed like old Carolina yesterday. Yeah, um... they couldn't block. We'll have to see how this progresses. You know, right now they don't have a lights-out running back either, you know, someone that could strike a little fear. They realize that um, if they're going to do much in the running game, Cam Newton has to be a big part of that, and he's taking these shots. So I don't know how anxious they are to even call plays like that, have that going on, um, you know. So that's going to be a little bit of an issue for them going forward. But hats off to Minnesota, still playing hard, doing some big things over there. You know what? There wasn't much to talk about, you know, when the Ravens take on the Jaguars, very boring, two boring football teams. Not, you know, neither one of these teams expected to be playoff teams. But there was a little game inside of the game there. Jaguars rookie defensive back Jalen Ramsey found himself on on big-time veteran Steve Smith. And uh, a little bit of war of words ensued between the two. And let me tell you something, Amal. I'll, I'll tell you this about Steve Smith. You can, on a particular Sunday, take three L's as it pertains to Steve Smith. He could beat you uh, on the field. Um, he could end up beating you up because he's done that to a couple of guys, really cock-diesel strong guy that with a lot of fire and, um, you know, and a pretty decent fight game. And then he's pretty harsh with the words, too, when it comes to social media or interviews after. Very witty. Um, uh, my hat's off to him as a guy who's pretty slick at the mouth. Um, I've been impressed by some of the words Steve Smith has been able to put out. He did tell uh, Jaguars rookie, um, I have shoes with stronger thread than you. So, um, you know, and, yeah, I mean, he's good with it. And this was Jalen. This was in response to uh, these quotes by Jalen Ramsey after the game. Nobody worried about him. Come to me, you know what I'm saying, on some, on some, on some disrespectful stuff. You know what I'm saying, the game over with. You still mad because I was locking you up? <laughs> All right, go sleep on that. I ain't trying to hear that after the game. So you, you vowed that he wouldn't get in your head. Do you think you managed to get in his head, do you think? What you think? I th- <laughs> you tell me. You tell me. Anytime I lined up on him. <laughs> yeah, y'all go watch that. Y'all go watch that. Y'all tell me who got in yep. who head. He came up to me after the game. So those were the words from uh, from Jalen Ramsey about Steve Smith, to which Steve re, uh, replied back, I've got cleats with stronger thread than you. So uh, a little bit of warm <laughs> words between those two guys. And, you know, Steve Smith, I don't know if he's the one, the right one to be mixing it up with Jalen Ramsey, the rookie, but um, nevertheless. Wait, uh, I, wanna, I take umbrage of what you said about the Ravens, two boring teams. I'm looking, the Ravens here are 3-0. and yeah, a boring 3-0, and by the way. And if you went out in the street and you asked people, well, what's the record of the Baltimore Ravens? I doubt anyone outside of the Maryland area would be even to tell you that. And say they weren't good. They're just boring right now. Uh, not a whole lot going on there. It sounds like you're not quite buying in yet to the 13-7 win against the Bills and then back-to-back road wins against the Browns and Jags in close games. Yeah, it sounds like not you all that impressed. 
No, right. no. But you quickly see some more before, before our show ends, yeah. Quickly before our show ends here, which we will very soon, uh, we do need to run through these picks. I'm going to do it real quick. NFL-wise, my lone winner yesterday, Kansas City, uh, is a three-point favorite at home versus the New York Jets. Runaway winner, easy. Thought that would happen. It went down that way. Cincinnati. I uh, thought they would be able to do something in this contest. Didn't turn out that way. And, of course, the Miami tragedy uh, didn't work out for me either. So I end up going one and two. Uh, I am – what am I on the season there? In Five the and four on the year. Five I, I and wish four. I, you you know, I, I wish I took Kansas City with you. I, I wasn't smart enough to know that Stevie Wonder was the guest, guest quarterback <laughs> for the Jets yesterday. Um, Fitzpatrick uh, – Either he's colorblind or just pure blind, God forbid. Six I mean, INT, six what are you going to do? Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I took the Dolphins with you. That was a loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for some godforsaken reason, I believe my own BS that the Steelers are a Super Bowl team. Well, they they got a lot of work to do if they're going to make me right because yeah. I laid three and a half there, and they just got taken behind the shed. That was a total big down in every facet of the game. So, don't feel bad about that. I took an L. My only win of the weekend. Uh, I had a feeling the Redskins would show up like a wounded animal for this game. They got three and a half points. Uh, you were kind of never really in tr- trouble here. They won the game outright, 29-27. I'm four and five on the year, so I got to get, get back not to the goal as- line. Yeah, not as bad as what you're doing in college football, but yeah, I feel well, the wind's you. coming for you. I feel the I feel the wind's coming for you. Well, but what I also feel is the end of the show. We've come to uh, another end of the weekend wrap. I hope you enjoyed the weekend. I hope you enjoyed the show. We'd like to thank you for listening and making us a featured show on Blog Talk Radio. Um, and you know, listen, we're back on Friday wrapping this stuff up. Well, not wrapping it, but previewing it for you. So we'd like to see you here for Emil Calamino. I'm Chad Wilson. Thanks for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. All you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit squidironstuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting, we've got people visiting, we've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. Squidironstuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now, set your profile up, and let yourself be seen.